Well, good morning. Great to see you. Uh, want to welcome you. My name's Mike. Uh, I introduced myself once at the beginning of the service when we did baby dedications, but most of you weren't there. So I want to introduce myself again. Uh, so good to see you. Glad you came. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and inside your program is a message note sheet. And so if you haven't taken that out yet, definitely want to do that, especially if you're new. It's green and white, and if you guys are ready, I'm going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. God, we're just thankful for this amazing weekend, Lord, what you've already done already in the first two services, what you did in Mexico, the baby dedication. It's just a great time to be together as a family, and uh, we're thankful for that. As we kick off this brand new series today, we pray that you'd come. You'd be our leader, you'd be our teacher, you'd kind of sit with us and open our eyes to these amazing truths we're going to be studying about, that we would understand this calling, what it looks like to live out this epic vision that we've called to be a part of. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are launching a brand new series, it's called Epic Living the Vision. And for those of you who are new, this is actually the second part of a two-part series, or maybe it'll become three or four parts by the time we're done, we'll see. But uh, the second of a two-part series uh, on a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of followers of Jesus uh, about 60 AD, about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And they're located in the area of Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire, one of the largest cities, about a quarter million people. Uh, It was in the the capital of a province called Asia Minor, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. And so Paul's writing to these Christ followers. He's in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting trial. And so he's writing. And if you've been here for the first uh, first series, uh, in this opening series, Paul lays out this epic vision that God has for all of creation. And he shares that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that we discover that we're a part of this vision, that we have been actually chosen, that we didn't, weren't aware of it. We were chosen before time began to come to Jesus, to be rescued from the dark side, to be forgiven of all our rebellion against our true king, to be adopted as, into his family as one of his sons or daughters, to receive the gift of his spirit who will lead us and guide us and empower us for a new life, that we've been gifted by that spirit to supernaturally make an impact in this, uh, in this project that God is carrying on. Uh, and that we become part of this new community of Jesus that is going to rule with him and fill the new creation that's coming. And so the first half of uh, this letter is all about how Paul's laying out this epic vision, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And now he's ready to move into the second half of the letter. It's really the hinge point today of the letter. And we go into chapter four, and he's going to get really practical of now that we understand the vision, what does it look like to live out the vision in our everyday lives? And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Epic, the First Priority. And if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, I'd like you to open up, turn them on to Ephesians chapter four, and we'll be covering the first six verses today. And then we're going to come back after we cover these, and we're going to lay out kind of three very simple but profound principles of of what it takes to live out the vision, and then ask two very specific kind of personal practical questions to see how it's working out in our lives. So Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, so remember he's under house arrest in Rome, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so these last three chapters, he's laid this out, this epic vision of who we are, who we were, what God's done, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, his gifts he's given us. He says, now, in light of that epic vision, I want you to rise up and live it out, kind of live in light of who you are. And he says, uh, the first step to that is you need to be completely humble and gentle. You need to be patient and bearing with one another in love. And so if we're going to carry out this vision, if we're going to live epic lives, if we're going to Uh, experience this new community of Jesus. We're going to have to grow, become like Jesus, some key character qualities we're going to have to develop. We'll talk about them more later. And he says, our our top priority then is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So if you've come to Jesus, you're part of this new community. The last two chapters, Paul has laid this out. Then when Jesus came to rescue us, He didn't come just so we'd be individually saved. He came to rescue us, so he's part of this new movement, this new, uh, he's called it the new new nation, the new people of God, 
the new uh, family of God. He calls us the new temple, the new humanity, the new man, the new body of Christ. And he says, so that when you come to Jesus, and we talked about this, that we are organically linked to Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you come to Jesus, you go, remember we use this analogy, you go online with Jesus. The same Spirit's in Jesus and you. You share his DNA, so you go online with Jesus. But catch this, you go online with Jesus. Uh, I go online with Jesus. We're like individual terminals. He's the server, right? And so we're all now networked with one another. We're all organically linked. We all share the same Spirit. This is why when you meet a Christian, it doesn't really matter if you're in Europe or you're in Africa, you're down in Mexico, you're around the world, you meet another Christian, there's an instant sense of connection, isn't there? There's a sense of it's supernatural. And what Paul wants us to understand, this connection through the Holy Spirit, it's not just theoretical, it's not just theological, it is reality, that there is actually a new supernatural organic unity that we share in Christ. And he says, so top priority then is to protect the unity of the Spirit, to make sure we learn how to get along, we build relationship well, we build this healthy community of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, let me talk to you about this organic unity. And so he wants to say, let me, he says, I want to share with you what I mean by being one in Christ. And he says, he says, I'm going to share with you seven things that when you come to Jesus, we share automatically. It doesn't matter where you were raised. It doesn't matter your level of education. It doesn't matter your race, what side of the tracks you grow up on, what, how much money you make, uh, what you do for a living. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we share it's, or, it's organic, it's supernatural, it happens the moment you come to Christ. And so he's going to share seven things. Uh, and I'm sure the number seven is not by accident. He chooses seven things because it represents uh, kind of perfect unity. And so he starts off, he says um, in verse four, there is one body. And so what I want to do is break down these seven things he says we share. Remember, we, we come to Jesus, we're part of this new community, right? We're all organically linked. And Paul uses several different metaphors to describe it. So in chapters 2 and 3, he said, we are one new nation. We're like a new nation. He said, we are like a new family. He said, we're like a new temple. He said, we're like a new man, like another, a new humanity. And if we're a new man, then who's the head of this new man? Well, Jesus is the head. Who's the body? We're the body, right? So he says that, that when you come to Jesus, we're all organically linked. We're one body. Next thing he says, we're one spirit. The same spirit that lives in you lives in me. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that when we came to Christ, we were baptized by the, into, by the spirit into one body. And we're all different members. So we all share this. We have one, we have one body, one spirit. Third thing he says is one hope. Uh, he's talking about the future, our destiny. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, we all have the same destination. We may get there at different times, but there is a new creation coming. And you're going to be there, I'm going to be there, as much as we're sitting there. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're all going to be there. We're going to have new bodies, new heavens, new earth. This is our hope. And when the New Testament talks about the hope, it's about the hope of this next life. We share the same destiny. The fourth thing he says we share is we share one Lord. Now, remember, in the Roman Empire, Lord was as much a political or military term as it is a spiritual term. We think it is a religious term. It's uh, in the Roman Empire, who is Lord? Caesar is Lord. He's the ultimate authority. In fact, you were required at times to go and burn incense to worship Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. He's the top authority. Christians said, no, for us, we have a new authority. The top authority in our life is not Caesar. The top authority in our life is Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you bow the knee to Jesus. He's your ultimate authority. I bow the knee to Jesus. We share the same leader. We have one Lord. Next, he says, we have one faith. And by one faith, he's talking about one common belief system. There are certain things we believe about who God is, who Jesus is, our relationship with God, how life is to be lived. It's the faith. Like in Jude, the little book of Jude, Jude says, we are to contend for the faith 
once delivered to all the saints, all the Christ followers. And so there's one common core of, of what we believe. In the early church, because most people didn't have Bibles, they would summarize this one faith by a creed. They would write a short summary, call them the creeds. And you, one of the earliest creeds was called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you grew up saying that. Maybe, maybe you grew up a, a Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopal. They all do it a slightly different, but it's basically the same creed, that this is what we believe. It summarizes, and Paul says that, we share one faith. And next he says, we share one baptism. Now in the early church, when someone came to Christ, the first step was to be baptized. In fact, this was the way you came to Christ. This was the way you said, I want to be a Christian. Like in our modern Christianity, often we separate salvation from baptism. We often say, you know, why I, I came to Christ, you know, in this, uh, you know, in this harvest crusade or through Billy Graham or this person shared it. And that was like four years ago. And now I'm coming to be baptized. But in the early church, uh, baptism was like the ring you put on at a wedding ceremony. So in the early church, when you came in, I want to follow Jesus is great. Just like in a wedding ceremony, you say, I do, and you put on the ring at the same, same time. Uh, this was a symbol of uh, everything we were doing, that we are entering with Jesus. He is forgiving us for our sins. We're washed away. We're following Jesus. We're joining him in his life, his death, his resurrection. We're dying with him to our old life. We're rising to the new life. We are going through, we are being set free from a greater uh, Egypt. We are being set free from a greater sin of slavery. We're being set free and we're going through a greater Red Sea and we're coming out into a greater promised land. You see, and we all share this. And so we've all shared this common baptism, this sacred act of entering into this new relationship. And then finally, he says, the, the last thing he says, if you look there at the end of verse six, or verse five, he says, uh, end of verse five, he says, no, it's verse six. He says, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So these are pagans. He's writing to the Christians at Ephesus. They had worshiped at the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of Diana, the temple of Zeus, the temple of Caesar. For them, there were many gods. Now they'd come to Jesus, and now there's not many gods. There is one God, one God and Father of all. He is over all, the ruler of all creation. He is uh, through all. He pervades his creation. He's the omnipresent everywhere God. And he is in all, either speaking of in his creation or in us as believers. And so Paul says, hey, you've come to Jesus. He's rescued you from your past. You've come into this new relationship. You've been adopted. You've been forgiven. You've been gifted. You've received the Holy Spirit. You're part of this cosmic plan. You need to rise up and you need to be who you are, live lives worthy of this calling because we all share this together. There is one, there's only a one body and there is one spirit and there is one hope and there is one Lord and there's one faith and there's one baptism. And there's one God and Father of us all and we are all united and we're going to share eternity so top priority is preserve the unity of the community right now that's the passage what I want to do is kind of break it down in the time we have and I want to simply highlight three very simple but powerful profound uh, kind of epic statements about what it is to you know to be a follower of Jesus how we live out this epic life this epic vision and then come back and ask two very practical questions for our life. How are we doing? Are we on track? And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Epic, the High Calling. And let's uh, hit these two questions. Oh, no, I'm, that's not where I'm. Yeah, that's right. All right. Usually by the third time I've got this, but not today. I guess I'm an hour behind. I'll probably have it an hour from now. Uh, okay, number one, the first principle that Paul wants us to understand, and this is one that we've highlighted uh, kind of throughout this, the first series a lot, but as we start the new series, want to build on it, that we share, as followers of Jesus, we share an epic calling. He wants us to be clear in this. Now, we've talked about this a lot. I won't spend a lot of time here, but for three chapters, he has laid this out. Hey, this is who you are. You were once lost. You were once spiritually dead. You were once enemies of God. And 
And through a miracle, God called you to himself. He chose you actually before time. And at the right time in history, he caused you to come alive in Christ. He raised you from the dead spiritually. You are a supernatural creation of God. He's gifted you to serve, to make a difference. You're part of the new community. And Paul says, so so in light of that, I want you to live up to that calling. I want you to be who you are. Now, as I was studying this, I kept picturing this almost like Paul, like a football coach. So I want you to think of this like a famous football coach, like our famous football team. So, you know, a long and storied uh, franchises or long and storied like college teams. Like I was thinking like Alabama, you know, Crimson Tide. I was thinking of Ohio State Buckeyes. I was thinking now the Oregon Ducks. I was thinking in my dreams about USC. Uh, it, uh, I'm still waiting. It's coming. It's coming. And, uh, and so like great storied programs that have, tr- you know, tremendous coaches, right? And, and so uh, every year uh, there are hundreds and thousands of top athletes who want to play for these football programs across the United States. And they're just hoping they get that letter in the mail, they get that call, they get that email from this recruiter that Nick Saban wants them to come and play for Alabama. Right? Everyone's kind of hoping that, uh, that, that, uh, that one day they'll get to play. Maybe it's a pro team. Maybe it's a rookie being drafted in the upcoming draft, and they're just hoping, man, I hope I get to play for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I, I hope I, I get to play for Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks, right? Because these are amazing programs, and they have great traditions, and I want to be a part of, of that. And I kind of picture it like, like the Apostle Paul is like a great coach of one of those programs, and I want you to picture this. It's, it's kind of the first day that he is going to meet with his new recruits. He's like Nick Saban, first day meeting with incoming freshmen. Uh, it's the first day of Pete Carroll meeting with the rookies at their first mini camp. And he's giving them this speech. And what he's telling him is he's saying, men, there are many people that want to sit where you're sitting right now. There are many people that have grown up and just dreamed of the day they could play for the Crimson Tide or they could be an Oregon Duck. They waited in the mail. They waited for that offer on the internet. There are many of the people that wanted to play for the New England Patriots, and they're not. They're playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? (laughs) They're playing even worse for the Oakland Raiders. (laughs) And there are many people that wish that they were where you are, but you have been chosen because we believe in you. We have watched your career. We have watched who you are. We believe that you can be something special. We have chosen you so men don't blow it. You now don't just represent yourself. You represent the crimson tie. You wear the colors of a storied school. You play for USC. You play for the Oregon Ducks. You now are Seattle Seahawks. So rise to the challenge and be who we believe you are. And this is what I hear when I hear the Apostle Paul. That he's saying, men and women, you have no idea. I've just spent three chapters telling you who you are. Now it's time for you to rise to the challenge. Be who you are in Christ. Listen to the Spirit. Rise up. Live a life worthy of this amazing calling and opportunity that's on your life. And that's where the story starts today. Now, number two. The second principle that jumps out is that Unity is our first priority. If we're going to live this epic life we're called to live, if we're going to experience this vision God has for our lives, then Paul says that unity in this new community needs to be our top priority. Now, frankly, this takes me a bit by surprise. This is not like if I had never read Ephesians before, uh, if you had never read Ephesians before, maybe for some of you, it's the very first time you're reading this, like what would you expect? What would you expect Paul to say? Hey, he's three chapters of telling us who we are, amazing calling on our life. He gives out this challenge, throws down the gauntlet, be who you are, live the vision, uh, be, live lives worthy of the calling. What do you expect him to say next? Well, I think for me, I would expect him to say something like this. So make sure you're spending time with God on a regular basis so you don't lose the vision. Or I would expect him to say, therefore, I want you to hone in on the spiritual gifts God has given you, these supernatural abilities, and I want you to make them your top priority of using them to build the whole community. 
Or I would have thought he would say something like, hey, you're, you're a Christ follower now. You need to leave the past behind. You need to stop stealing like you used to do. You need to stop sleeping around like you used to do. You need to stop ripping people off and lying like you used to do. You need to live a new life. This is what I expect him to say, something like that. And catch this. He will say every one of those things in the next two chapters. But it's not the first thing he says. The first thing he says is if you want to live out this epic vision, you have to fight for the unity of the community. That your first thing is that he spent two chapters telling us about this new community that Jesus is forming that's going to rule with him forever. He says, now, the first thing is this is amazing. This new community, what you call Rocky Peak here, this is a gift. This is amazing. If you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, what he is doing here is amazing. Don't take it for granted. Fight for it. Do everything you can to maintain and preserve the unity of the community. And he says this in 4.3. He says, I want you to make every effort to keep or to preserve, protect the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so we're all united by the Spirit, one body. And he says, I want you to make every effort. I love this word in Greek. The word in Greek is the word spudazo. I'm going to spell it for you because a lot of you like to write these things down. But spudazo is S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O, spudazo. And it's a really intense word. I love the word. It's like, uh, it's kind of like game on. Right? It's like, hey, it's game time. Like spudazo, we translate it a variety of ways. They, they translate it, make every effort. Uh, another translation would be be eager. Uh, another translation would be zealous. But it's a word of intensity. It's like, hey, you know, it reminds me of uh, when I was doing this study, the picture that came to my mind was, you know, like when they do those, these, those crew races where you have those uh, shells, a bunch of guys, and, they're, and you know, they're, they're rowing. Um, and, and they're like racing one another, like in England or something like that. It's Oxford versus Cambridge, or, or over here it's Yale versus Harvard. And, and like they, they have that one guy at the back, he's called the coxswain, and he's calling out that, the, and they are all focused in, and they are all rowing in time, and they're straining with all their might to win this race, unified, completely unified. And it's a picture that came to my mind. It's like Paul's saying, that's it. They're spudazoing. Like, they are focused in on winning this race, staying unified, all in line with one another, one goal, one vision, one Lord, one body, one faith. They are on target. And Paul says, if you're going to experience the epic life I'm calling you to, trust me that this is top priority. You make every effort to protect the unity. In other words, you learn to get along. You learn to get along. We'll talk more about that later on. Okay? Now, number three, the third principle is that true community requires spiritual maturity. In other words, if we're going to live epic lives, if we're going to build this new community of Jesus, experience this, this community of Jesus, that we're going to have to grow up. That we can't do life the way we did it before we came to Jesus. And specifically, we can't do relationships the way we did before we came to Jesus. If you look at the world today, the world at every level is what's normal is division. What's normal is conflict. You think of your workplace, you think of uh, globally, you think of politically. What's normal in life is division. What's normal in life is faction. It's a product of the fall. Jesus is creating a new community that's to be unified in love. Jesus said that by this, all men will know that you're my followers if you love one another. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I pray that they might be one as we are one so the whole world would know that you have sent me. This is to be the distinguishing mark of the new movement of Jesus is our unity, our love for one another. And Paul says, if you want to live an epic life, you're going to have to grow up. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to become mature. Bottom line, you have to become like Jesus. 
And he gives us three key character qualities that we're gonna, going to need to develop. And they're there in 4.2. Later on in the chapter, I'll give us two more, but today he starts with three. Verse, chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, be completely what? Okay, time to wake up. <laughs> be completely humble. Okay, so it's the first thing he said, you need to grow in your humility. Now, what's humility? Humility at its core is about seeking the needs and interests of others ahead of our own. In fact, in Philippians 2, that's how Paul defines it. He says, you know, put the needs and interests of others uh, ahead of yourself in all humility. Uh, and so, so humility is about instead of me first, it's others first. Instead of self-focus, it's others focus. And Paul says, if we're going to create the new community, we're going to have to grow. We can't be about our egos. We're going to have to grow out of that. We're going to have to become like Jesus in humility. The second word he says is gentleness. Now, in the Greek, the word humility and the word gentleness are like semantic cousins. They're very, there's a lot of overlap. But the thought here is that, you know, before we come to Jesus, we tend to be more self-absorbed. We tend to be not aware as much of the needs of others, so we can be harsh or insensitive. That, that if the Holy Spirit's working in our life, if we're listening, he's going to create increasingly a gentleness that's going to make us aware of others so we can actually be sensitive to their needs. The third thing he mentions here is patience. That's the third of the three. He says, uh, be patient. And here, when he's talking about patience, He's not so much talking about, um, you know, be patient, the light will turn green eventually. He's not talking about that, right? <laughs> He's not talking about being in the, the checkout line at Costco and like, oh, crud, I picked the wrong line. Right? Like, like, are you like that? Like, I, I'm, I'm like this. Like, very competitive person. So it's like, I, you know, when I'm going to Costco, I'm like scanning the lines, and not only do I want to choose the shortest line, the fastest line, but after I choose it, I'm going to watch all the way through to see if I made the right choice. And I, yes, I won. You know, like, oh, what's wrong? You're off your game today, you know? You have the pumps at, at, at Cosmic too. So he's not talking about that kind of patience, although that would be a good thing. But he's talking about relational patience. And he defines it with his next phrase, he says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I want you to think about this. You only have to bear with someone if they're irritating. <laughs> right? Like, you don't have to, like, oh, knock it off. You're just too nice. You're too kind. You're too giving. I can't bear it. <laughs> uh, like, you have to bear with people who are annoying. And by the way, we're talking about Christians here. Have any, no show of hands. Have any of you ever known an annoying follower of Jesus? Yes. Right? Have ever you been an annoying follower of Jesus? Yes, I'm looking. I'm not, I'm looking. Uh, I get those cards and letters. Uh, the, uh, you only have to bear with people who are irritating. Bear with people that are harsh. Bear with people that fail you, that let you down. And Paul is sending us a message here that we may be part of the body of Christ, and we may have an epic vision, but we are all in process. And there are going to be people in the body of Christ that let you down. He's telling us. And he says to, to experience the vision, to live the vision, to experience the community you're going to have to grow up because there's going to be irritating, annoying people at Rocky Peak, right? In your life group, on your ministry team. It's the way, and he said, if you want to experience the vision, you have to become bigger than the problem. You have to grow beyond it. Like Paul says in Romans 12, he says, as much as possible, be at peace with all men. Some people, it's impossible. Much as possible. But then he says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so if we're going to experience the community, we have to grow in our patience. 
if we're going to experience, if you want to live an epic life, you have to become a patient person relationally. You have to be able to bear with others or we will miss it, right? Bottom line, to experience the community of Jesus, you have to develop the character of Jesus. And that's what these next couple chapters are going to be about. It's about being transformed to be like Jesus. In fact, you know, these three words, three character qualities that, that Paul gives, do you know that two of the three, Jesus uses them to describe himself? Uh, there in your note sheet, very famous verse from Matthew 11. Probably most of you know what a yoke is. Like a yoke is something you put over animals like oxen or donkeys or horses to pull something, like pull, pull a, a plow or something. But many of you may not know this, that in the first century, rabbis used a, 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 a pl- uh, the, uh, the yoke as a symbol of coming under the leadership of a rabbi. So that if you, you follow the rabbi, rabbi to learn from the rabbi, it's called taking my yoke. And so Jesus uses this analogy in Matthew chapter 11, and he says to the group of listeners, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Come under my leadership as your rabbi. He said, for I am what? I'm gentle. And number two, and I'm what? Humble of heart. And guess what? Exact same two words as used in Ephesians. And so in other words, if we're going to live epic lives, if we're going to experience true community here at Rocky Peak, we are going to have to grow up, become like Jesus. We're going to have to grow in our humility. We have to grow in our patience. We have to grow in our gentleness. All right, so that's, that's the groundwork. Now, uh, th- that's all foundation for where we're going now. So what we're going to do now is land the plane. Uh, kind of Not like Harrison Ford but this week, but um, <laughs> uh, by the way, you knew he was going to be okay, right? I mean, the guy's Indiana Jones. Uh, he's flying a World War II. You know, but I'm pretty soon there'll be a documentary and they'll have that little map like in, you know, and then golf course. Anyway. Um, anyway, you cannot kill Indiana Jones in a plane. This is not happening. But uh, anyway, so we're going to land the plane, right? We're gonna, we've, everything else is foundation. We're going to land the plane. Uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section uh, I want to ask you two questions. Um, I'm calling them essential questions because they really are, if we want to live an epic life. Uh, the first one goes like this. Are you living up to your calling? We've documented in this last series we reviewed it today, as follower of Jesus, chosen before time, there is an epic calling on your life. We've talked about it a lot in this series. So the question is, are you living up to your calling? Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I I urge you, I love how the New Living Translation puts, I beg you, live lives worthy of your calling. You know, it seems like every month, every week, uh, I don't know, there's a story somewhere about someone that was in a position of great privilege, great honor, great opportunity, who blew it and did live worthy of the calling. Um, there, there's a story maybe from the NFL of a, a player who's like third time, you know, one of the best receivers in the league and, and just could kind of write his own ticket, but third time has been uh, violated drug substance abuse program, and so he's going to be out for a year. There, there's, a, there, there's a story about a first-round draft pick who is just so gifted, right, but doesn't put the time in the, in the film room or on the workout field, and, and they fail. And they're, within two or three years, they're out of the league. There's a story about maybe an athlete at, at USC or similar school that has full-ride scholarship to one of the top universities of our, our land, but because of extracurricular activities, lose it all. There's a story of a politician who's worked so hard to gain this office, and now because of fraud, they're losing everything. It's just, there's someone who's been uh, received an appointment to Annapolis or West Point. So many people want to go there. They've got the, and then something happens, hazing, something happens, cheating, something, and they, they lose that education, they lose it all. And it's become, it's, it's normal part of our culture. We, we see this all the time. And when you see those kinds of stories, I don't know how you react. My first reaction is like, there but the grace of God go I. My, my first reaction is always like, high alert, uh, keep, keep your nose, you know, just 
do life the right way because, you know, any of us is never above falling. That's my first reaction. Is, is make way. The second reaction is how tragic. That here's a person that had this amazing opportunity, amazing privilege, amazing choice, amazing um, future, and they blew it. And, and so what Paul is saying to us is that, hey, wake up. This is who you are. This is who you've chosen to be. You have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. God loves you, chosen you, called you to himself. He's going to love you forever. He's got a plan for your life. Paul says, don't blow it. Live a life worthy of the calling. And the question I have for you is, are you? And my hunch is in a room like this that there would be at least three different kinds of people. Uh, one kind of person here would be someone saying, you know, for, Mike, for the most part, I think that the answer is yes. I, I'm sure there's areas I need to grow, but I, I'm listening to God. I, I'm reading his word. I'm, I'm learning. He's changing. He's shaping me. He's using my gifts. I'm growing. I'm changing. Um, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. I think, I think, you know, I'm probably in. I think there's others of us here that would be on the other side who would say, um, you know what, Mike, no question, the answer is no. I, I know it. I, I know God's calling me to come to Jesus, and I've been resisting that call. I haven't given my life to Christ. I, I haven't even stepped in the kingdom yet. For, for others of you who say, there was a time I was listening and following, but I'm just not. I've become lazy. I've become distracted. Maybe I'm backslid, but I know, I absolutely know I am not living a life worthy of my calling. But I think for a lot of us, we'd be in that middle ground. Or we would say, you know, Mike, I don't really know. I kind of, at times, yes. At times, no. Certain, yes, no. I'm not sure. Kind of in the middle somewhere. And fortunately, the Apostle Paul gives us another passage of Scripture that helps us to understand what it looks like and to evaluate ourselves. And there in your note sheet, I put it. It's from Colossians chapter 1. It's a passage we actually looked at in some of our life group study last week, if you're in, in a, a sermon-based uh, life group. It's from Colossians 1, and this is what you need to know. When you, uh, Colossians and Ephesians are like companion letters. They're written from the Apostle Paul, same time, same prison, he writes them, very similar con content. So if you want to understand the one, go to the other. They often follow the same topics even, and you can just kind of, it kind of expands it out, right? So, you, so we'll talk about that throughout the series. But anyway, uh, in Colossians 1, Paul talks about what does it look like to live a life worthy of the Lord? What, what does that look like? And so here's where he goes. He says, um, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul is writing to this group of Christ followers in Colossae that he's never met, and he's heard of them. He says, we've not stopped praying for you. And here's what we're asking. We're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. He says, our, our core request is that God would just open your minds and just fill you with a clear understanding who you are in Christ, what his plan is for your life, how to live. Basic same as Ephesians, right? And he says, this will come through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, this is not something you can just get academically or, or intellectually. The Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to these things, to see this kind of the reality of this vision. So he says, I'm praying for that, praying that God would open your eyes to see who you are, his vision for your life. <clears throat> and then he says, and the reason I pray this is in order that you may live a life, what? Worthy of the Lord. That's the topic on the table, right? What does it look like? Are you living a worthy life? What's it look like? He says, the reason I'm praying that God opens your mind and gives you clarity about this vision for your life is so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord. Well, what do you mean, Paul? Well, the next phrase defines it. And he says, and may please him in what? In every way. And so these two phrases help inform one another. They're, they're parallel phrases. To live a life worthy of the Lord has to do with pleasing him in every way, every area of your life. So how about your sexuality? Yes. How about your finances? Yes. How about using your gifts? Yes. How about the way you do relationships? Yes. How about the way you, a husband or wife? Yes. How about your parenting? Yes. How about dating? Yes. How about your work ethic? Yes. All topics that we're going to discuss, you know, in the coming weeks. And so Paul says, this is where it begins. To live a life worthy of the Lord starts with a heart issue. It starts with, is the top priority in my life 
to know him, to please him, and to love him. Is that my top priority? Is my top priority in my life to please him in every area? Is that my priority? Because what Paul would say is if it's not your top priority to please him in every way, then you will not live a life worthy of your calling. Because if it's your not top priority of your heart to please him in every way, what it means is there is something in your life that's more important than pleasing him. It means that there is a person, there is a position, there's power, there's popularity, it's pleasure, it's possessions, it's another priority. There's something in your life that matters more than pleasing God in every way. And if there's something that matters more than pleasing God in every way, then that, whatever that thing is, that is your God. That's your idol. And if you have if you're serving another idol, like Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. If you're serving another thing other than pleasing him, then by definition, you will not live an epic life. And by definition, you won't experience the community of Jesus. And by definition, you will not live a life worthy of the Lord. And so the question I have for you as we start this series is, what is your top priority? Is it pleasing him in every way? And in the coming weeks, we are going to be talking about so many important areas of pleasing the Lord. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. We're going to spend a week on integrity. We're going to speak a, uh, spend a week on anger. We're going to speak a, spend a week on the workplace. We're going to spend a week on our speech, our words, the power of words. We're going to spend a week on Forgiveness. We're going to spend two weeks on forgiveness. <laughs> so I'll need a second week for you to forgive me for the first. Uh, I'll irritate you one week and then you can forgive me the next. Uh, we're going to speak, spend a week on sexual purity. We're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about priorities and time and schedule and putting first things first in our life. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about how to please the Lord in every area. But catch this, if your top priority is not to please the Lord in every area, then what good does it do to study these things? Because what happens is we go, oh, that's really good. I know one more thing. I put it on the shelf. And now we just have one more thing that we're accountable for and not living out. You see? And so if we want to live the epic life, it starts with a heart issue. And the hard issue, is it your top priority to please him in every area? Now, number two, the second question, and this one will take a little bit more explanation. Not much, but a little bit. So like the question is, are you a closet perfectionist? <laughs> My wife said last night, when you asked that, I didn't know where you were going. Said, oh, it's good. That was good. About 15 minutes later, it was good. No, it's good. Um, let me, and when I talk about a perfectionist in this context, I'm talking about a relational perfectionist, okay? So I'm going, are you a closet relational perfectionist? Uh, and as we start this section, I want to ask you to do me a favor, just between you and the Lord, you have to write it down, because the person next to you may look, um, but I want to ask, is there anyone in your life who is a follower of Jesus, could be here at Rocky Peak, could be in a life group, could be a former life group, could be on a ministry team, um, but someone here at Rocky Peak, or it could be a Christ follower somewhere else, but someone in your life that you have unresolved relational friction with. Okay? And I want you to picture that person who's the first person to come to your mind. It's really funny, I see smiles all over this place. Like people are like, mm, I know, mm, my person knows. Um, okay, so I want you to think of that person, keep them there at the back of your mind as we go through this, and then and I want to ask this question, are you a relational perfectionist? Now, closet perfectionist. Now, uh, I think that most of us would say no. If I were to ask you, when it comes to relationships, do you expect other Christ followers to be perfect in the way they do the relationships? I think most of us would say no. I'm not a perfectionist. 
So if I were to break it down and I were to say, okay, so let me get this straight. Like, so do you expect in the body of Christ, people claim that they will never let you down? Do you expect that? You say, well, no, I don't expect it. Do you expect that they will always tell the truth? No one will ever deceive you. No one will ever be deceptive in any way. No, of course not. We're human, right? We're all in process. That's not going to happen. Uh, do you expect that no one will ever betray you? People will always uh, handle their anger in the right way. They will always be generous. They will never gossip about you. They will never slander you. They will never betray a confidence. They will always build you up when you're hurting. They will always be there for you. They will never neglect you. Do you expect that of the body of Christ? And we would all say, of course not. We understand that we are not perfect. We're all, of course people are going to let me down. But here's what I challenge you. Let someone let you down today, and all of a sudden, you find out how much of a perfectionist you are. Because the moment someone betrays you in a life group, they share something that they shouldn't have shared outside. The moment they made a commitment and they didn't follow through. The moment they weren't, you were going through great pain and they weren't sensitive. They didn't even read it. They weren't there for you. Your, your time of hurt. The moment they explode, they have an outburst of anger they should never have had. The moment they say something harsh, what, what happens? I think for most of us, what happens is the moment we happen, we say, I can't believe that. And they call themselves a Christian. <laughs> There's no way I'm letting anyone treat me like that. Oh, and we begin talking to our friends. Can you believe what she did to me? And this, we, we tell the story all its glory. You know, we kind of unpack it. And then this, she said this, and then I said this, and then she said this, and then your friend's like, really? Oh, they said that? They're like, crazy. Like, I can't believe that. Yeah, we should pray for her. Yeah, we should, because she's just, uh, you know. And six months later, we pulled away from a relationship. We don't, we don't go to that life group. We got out of that life group because we don't like that person. I don't want to be in the life group with that, that person. We're off that ministry team now. And if I were to ask, would you ever move towards them and try to heal that relationship and have some conversation? No, they'd never get it. They would never get it. Well, do you ever like bring someone else in to be a mediator? No, no, that's not, that's just, that's the way they are. It's just that's the way they are. And so we go on breaking relationship after relationship. And all the time, if I were to ask you, do you expect perfection? You would say no. But let someone cross you. And all of a sudden, we find out that we all relational, uh, we're all closet perfectionists. We, ex we, ex we expect perfection. And if anyone crosses me, the center of the universe, by the way, <laughs> it doesn't have to even be big. Just let them cut me off in the parking lot leaving church. <laughs> Christian, sticker, fish on your car. Did you not even listen to the message? Great. Need a Darwin fish. You know? Son of Satan. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We are so, of course I would never expect everyone to be perfect, but let someone do something imperfect. Oh, you have just crossed the line. <laughs> and here's what Paul says. He says, if we're going to create this epic community of Jesus, we've got to grow up. We've got to be bigger than that. We have to learn to move towards one another. We have to learn to forgive. We have to learn to give grace as Christ has given grace to us. We have to grow in our humility, grow in our gentleness, and big one, we have to become more patient. Remember what I said? You don't bear with people who are loving you to death. You bear with annoying people. And so now I want you to think back on your note sheet or the corner of your head, your mind, who is that person that you have relational friction? And the question is, have you moved towards them? 
And they're just representative, of course, of many other relationships, right? But have we moved towards them? Are we doing? Are we fighting for the unity? Are we spudazoing? Are we making every effort rowing together to preserve this community that's the vision of Jesus, that's the hope of the world, that they will know we are Christians by our love, and it's by our unity that the world will know that he is who he claimed to be and that he has come to rescue us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And Father, as we... Uh, kick off this series. We're just so thankful for the vision that you painted, uh, the calling on our lives. Uh, and now we start to get practical and it starts to get messy, it starts to get dirty. We found we're going to have to grow. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to develop the character of Jesus. We're going to do relationships in a new way. And God, I pray that you give us the courage to come under your leadership and do that. Father, I thank you for the unity of the body of Christ, that there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope. There is one Lord. There is one faith that we share. There's one baptism. There was one God and Father of all. And we pray that here at Rocky Peak, this place you've called us, this is our church where we're to live out the gospel. We're to live out the community. I pray that we would grow up. We would grow in our humility, grow in our gentleness, grow in our patience as we bear with one another and as we fight to maintain the unity of the body. God, help us to be aware of how short-sighted we are with one another when you've been so patient with us. And I pray that we'd grow to be like Jesus so we can live out this epic vision you've called us to live out. And God, as we worship you now, as we sing about this one faith once delivered for all the saints, as we receive our offerings, you tie our hearts together in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Brothers and sisters, do you believe? Do you believe? We believe, we believe in this epic vision, this story that God is telling us. My prayer for you, my prayer for me is that we would live lives worthy of the calling. We wouldn't be like those who flame out or burn out or get off track, get distracted, that blow this life in the short time that we have here to make a difference but that with we, with all of our heart, would make it our goal, our priority, that we'd please him in every way, and that once our heart is right, his spirit could come and lead and guide us and teach us how to live lives worthy of our high calling. Amen? Amen. Amen. May you go and live that high calling this week. May you make it your top priority to preserve the unity of the spirit. If there's someone you need to make relationship right, make it right that together we might pursue the epic vision and live it out in power and have a piece of heaven on earth at this place here we call Rocky Peak. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.